0: Welcome to the Vulture TV podcast. I'm your host, Gazelle Amami. On this week's show, our first show of 2017, we're talking about what series to look out for this year. Plus, we're joined by Golden Globe nominee Issa Ray. I'm here with New York Magazine TV critic, Matt Zoller-Seitz. Hi, Gazelle. Hey, Matt. And Vulture TV columnist, Jen Chaney.
1: Hello, and welcome to the new year.
0: Hello. So we are actually still in 2016. Don't tell them. <laughs> no. 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 It isn't going to end. <laughs> it's never going to end.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's like groundhog day. It's like groundhog day, but but hellish. <laughs> Go to sleep on New Year's Eve, wake up and it's like the calendar it, says 2016. I got you, babe. <laughs>
0: So, so yeah, we are we're still a few weeks behind, but we are in a 2017 state of mind, and <laughs>
1: we're we're gonna tell you what <laughs> you want. Know,
0: I'm out
2: of here.
1: <laughs> we don't know what that means, but we'll find out. That's <laughs>
2: true. Yes, we could be. Yeah, who knows? It could be. We could be ruled by flesh eating dinosaurs yeah. by the time this podcast well, airs. Well-
0: only, only we when it will be. <laughs> let me let me rephrase. TV state of mind.
2: Oh right, okay. That's I thought you meant in the sense of like you know Trump appointing no, uh, appointing God, a no. Velociraptor God, no. to oversee children's lunch <laughs> programs or something. <laughs> you
0: know. um, so it's gonna be huge. <laughs> so in that spirit, our producers have given us a prompt this week that asks. What are your favorite TV scenes that project a character into the future? So we're talking flash forwards here.
2: Mm. There's only
1: one right answer to this, isn't there?
2: I, I don't know. I wonder if my answer is the same as your answer.
1: Will you go first, Matt?
2: Uh, the end of Six Feet Under.
1: Oh, that's there's more than one right answer then. Okay. <laughs> <What's your laughs> that's a great to... answer. Well, I was going to say, when you say flash forward, I just immediately think of Lost when they did the flash forward. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, not that that wasn't a term before that, but I feel like it really became a TV term after that um, season three finale. But the Six Feet Under finale is is a, is a tied, I think. Those are two of the, the best ones I can possibly imagine. Yeah. I was going, I just
0: went for a real silly one, which is Saved by the Bell. when you see them dress like old people and like it's got that pink over around the edges it's just like it's not it's obviously not my favorite but that is just the first thing that came to my mind um but then i did i was mostly thinking about flashbacks and i think one of my favorites is jane the virgin because i think they cast well, actually, in their flash forwards as well, they get pretty silly with how they make them look older, mm-hmm. which I, I always like it when they have a little fun with it and they don't yeah. take it too seriously. But I love how in the flashbacks on Jane the Virgin, all the actors feel just perfectly well cast. And like you could totally see that young Jane was looked this way as a teenager, as a child. And I just I I, I like it when shows take casting seriously on that level. It's just, it's an yeah. attention to detail I really appreciate.
2: Yeah, it's great. <laughs> and I also like it when shows go the opposite way and they don't take it seriously at all. Right. You know, like when yeah. they, <laughs> they cast somebody who's like, you know, supposed to be like the 40 or 50 year old version of some teenager. Right. And it's like, and they just basically put the, te- they just put a gray wig on the teenager <laughs> yeah. and that's it. You know?
0: <laughs> that's really fun too. Yeah. yeah. That's basically my save, yeah, save by the bell. but Excellent. <laughs> So that's this week's prompt. Listeners, if you would like to weigh in or suggest a prompt for a future week. please. The future. we're <laughs> getting to the future. the future.
2: The future is tomorrow. That's my motto. <laughs> yeah. Never forget, kids. The future is tomorrow.
0: <laughs> Our email address is still tvquestions@vulture.com And you can leave us a voicemail as well. 646-504-7673. Next up, we're joined by Vanity Fair's Joanna Robinson to talk TV in 2017. We'll be right back. So there were a lot of great new shows out in 2016, which... You can hear us talk about in our December twentieth episode from a couple weeks back, and Matt, I think you went so far as to call it the best year of TV you'd ever experienced since in your I've life. been alive. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's not hyperbole. It's not hyperbole. It's 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 it was the, the greatest year for scripted television since I've been watching television, and I'm turning forty eight this year, so that's a lot of television. That's a lot. It's a lot of decadent hours spent st- staring into that shiny box. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you know, it doesn't it looks like this year will be no different just from the lineup we have. Who's 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 to say, but who
2: who, who among <laughs> us can say? Yeah. And
0: joining us to talk about all the great stuff premiering in 2017 is Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. Joanna, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having you guys. Yeah. So, you know, I just wanted to start by asking you all, you know, what are you excited about in the coming year? Any shows in particular that, are, that stick out to you as ones to watch for?
3: So I would say for me, the, the top three or four that I'm looking at, I don't know if that's greedy to say, but Legion on FX, which is Noah Hawley's take on the comic book series. Taboo on FX, which is the Tom Hardy miniseries that he did with his dad, Chips Hardy, which is reason enough to watch. <laughs> and feud on FX. I promise these are not all FX shows. Feud on FX, which is Ryan Murphy's sort of costume drama about uh, Joan Crawford and Betty Davis. And then lastly, American Gods on Stars. Oh, um, yes. Those are the four big ones that I'm really looking forward to. So
0: I feel the same about all of those you just said. Legion in particular. And for listeners, that's from. Creator Noah Hawley, who you you would know from doing Fargo on oh. FX.
2: And also the Vulture TV podcast. And the
0: Vulture TV podcast, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that stars Dan Stevens, for all the Downton Abbey fans out there, as David Haller. This, this is an X-Men spinoff story. So he's a mutant who's diagnosed with schizophrenia when he's young and cycles through these different psychiatric hospitals and then... After he has an encounter with a psychiatric patient, he starts to wonder if he's dealing with more than just mental illness. And just the trailer looks amazing. So, And knowing that Noah Hawley is behind it, I think, makes me feel confident that it's going to be a great show. Yeah, Hawley has given a bunch of interviews
3: about his take on this genre, which I think we can all agree with. You know, however much, I love comic books. I, I like a lot of comic book TV, but I think we can all agree that there's a lot of options out there for comic book TV right now uh, to varying degrees of quality. And I just think that Holly, who did such an impressive job with his take on Fargo, uh, which surprised people who both love the Coen Brothers film and had never seen the Coen Brothers film, has just a different perspective on what comic book TV can be. And so I'm extraordinarily interested in how that turns out.
0: Yeah, I think he seems like he'll he'll have a bit of a lighter hand when it comes to the superhero elements in a way that I think will appeal to more people. Like, you don't have to be a superhero fan to necessarily
1: like this show. And I think the way they're marketing it is kind of playing into that, too. Like, you wouldn't necessarily know it was a comic book show, per se, unless you read more deeply about it.
0: Right. Yeah, like, kind of like Jessica Jones, in a way, and just kind of how Mm -hmm. the response to that played out. And speaking of which, there's another... Netflix is premiering its fourth in that whole series that, that started with Daredevil and we had Jessica Jones and then we had Luke Cage this year and next year we'll have Iron Fist which I know little about as a superhero yeah but... <laughs> I don't
2: I don't know Iron Fist I'm sorry
3: uh, <laughs> Danny Rand he's sort of like a like a low-budget Batman a billionaire playboy who decides for due to personal tragedy decides to fight the good fight. And it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, not Finn Jones of Game of Thrones fan of uh, fame, mm-hmm. and it'll, it'll be really interesting to see how they knit, you know, Netflix is doing such an ambitious thing trying to knit all these Defenders shows together for their big Defenders miniseries, which mm-hmm. I also believe is debuting next year. And uh, huh. it's, it'll be interesting to see how these different tones that they've been going for with the various shows sort of weave together. So I'm looking forward to
0: that. Yeah. What What else? What else are you guys excited about next year?
2: Well, the the third season of Leftovers. Uh, third, and third and final, final. season. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you stole
1: one of mine. <laughs>
2: Sorry. Well, That's we can okay. both, we can both sing. We, its can, praises, all, we can all. We can <laughs> all. of us. I think we. I think we all can. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That premieres in April. They just announced that.
2: Very good. Uh, yes. Also
0: in April we have Master of None season two. Right. Which will, I believe, start us off in Italy, where Aziz was headed when we left him,
2: uh, Season five of the Americans, presumably, yes, right.
0: In terms of other shows that are ending their runs, we have girls coming in February, yeah. is what what is a ideal final season of girls look like? Well, it depends you?
2: on who you ask, you know, yeah,. Um, I don't know. I, I I like the direction that they were going in, where where you know we were sort of observing the splintering of that group mm-hmm. as they got older, which seems very realistic. Yeah. Um, and maybe who knows? They they the one thing I like about that show is that they play games with structure, and uh, I'm sure they'll find some unusual way to go wherever they're going. Like I don't think I don't think they're going to end on a on a, a warm and reassuring note. It doesn't seem like it's really their style. But I guess I guess I could be I- you know surprised by that.
0: I, I agree. I do think they will will probably get something in terms of Hannah's uh, development professionally, just how they left things on that finale with her reading some of her work in a way that felt like, oh, you know, she, she has some potential here. And I don't think they're going to make her like a star, but I think that we'll get a little bit of satisfaction in terms of uh, seeing her on her way to becoming a writer. Um, and actually seeing it happen f- for the first time in a real way.
2: Right.
1: Yeah, and I thought, I, I really liked the most recent season of Girls, and I thought they were showing a little bit more of a sense of self-awareness amongst a lot of the characters. I mean, even Marnie, who um, maybe was the most disliked character on that show, I mean, she she had a great arc last season. Um, so even if it doesn't end on a super positive note, I, I agree with Matt that that would be a little bit out of character. I do think you'll see... I, I think you'll see all four of the women more evolved than they were when the show started.
2: No Game of Thrones next year, right?
1: So there will be
0: Game of Thrones, but it's
1: premiering later
0: in the summer. Uh, yeah. And it's the first half of its last oh, season. Oh, so they're doing so this like Sopranos, episodes.
2: Breaking Bad, Mad Men thing where exactly. they're splitting it in two so that they don't have to renegotiate anybody's contract, probably. <laughs> <laughs> That's what actually. That was David Chase's explanation to me for why season six of The Sopranos was split in half. It's like they they wanted. To, they said uh, we'll do two more seasons. and HBO said that would be great, but we we don't want to pay you more for season seven. Can we just call it season six, part one and two?
3: I think it's. I, I think it's actually kind of the opposite with Game of Thrones. Is that HBO wants that show to go on forever, and Weiss and Benioff see. I think they only want to do one more season, and I think it was the reverse that HBO was like, "Can we stretch that out for two more years so we can establish right. some of our other shows and right. not just fall apart when you leave us?" Um, <laughs> I know they did renegotiate some actor salaries this past year, or so, and that's sort of probably bleeding them dry over there at HBO, <laughs> but um, yeah. they need it. They need it, you know, uh, as. as great a uh, hit as Westworld potentially is, um, they still need that Thrones tent pole. So and now of course there's talk of a spin off or a prequel, which has been happening for years, but it seems mm. even more likely now. So we may be never be free of thrones. Oh god. So it's, the new, wa- <laughs> so it's
2: the new walking dead maybe. <laughs>
4: We're
3: We're right, like
2: Walking not. Dead Fear the Walking Dead Here Come the Walking Dead Oh my god It's the Walking Dead They'll be like They'll, <laughs> be, like, they'll, be, like, they'll be like Law and Order was Like 15 years ago Where there was like Law and Order par- You know Parking City parking yeah. And right. Law It'll and Order like- and Noise pollution And you
3: know. <laughs> Well, It'll be tournament, tournament of thrones, uh, you know,
2: whatever.
4: Yeah. So we'll see. It was like
2: Dune. You remember how Dune, there was Dune, children of Dune, god, emperor of Dune, when, you know, men, women, children of pets of Dune, accountants of Dune, you know.
3: <laughs> I, I mean, and it's not just walking down, you know, because we have Better Call Saul. I'm still holding out for... Better phone Joan. Our Mad Men spinoff. Well, I you know oh. Mad
2: Ooh. Women. That'd be great. I, I I just thought they should just call it Mad Women and started in you know the summer of seventy six when when during the bicentennial and just pick it up, pick it up. You know.
0: <laughs> well, I agree. I'm I'm here for it. I'm hoping the next HBO hit is going to be The Young Pope because I love The Young Pope. I am completely on board for. They the changed young pope. the title. The
2: original title was The Hot Pope.
0: Well
1: a, it, it may as well that's be why, called the hot that's pope. That's why
3: I still call it in my heart hot pope forever. I just like
1: hot pope exclamation <laughs> point. <Hot>
3: yeah. Pope. <laughs> Jula Jula is hot pope. Why I mean, was this
2: not a just, that just
0: sells itself.
2: Why was this not a musical is my question.
0: It has a great Ooh. soundtrack. It seems like it needed yeah. to be a
2: musical. It seemed like they needed to be like tap dancing yeah. and, you know, he's like sliding down a banister at the Vatican. And...
3: <laughs> Those pope robes would look really good in a musical <laughs> they, I bet they like flare and spin really
2: Right. It'd be so. like, yeah, it would. It would look like Ginger Rogers' dress when she twirls. <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> so this show is a Paolo Sorrentino show. Yeah, um, Matt. Can you talk a little bit about his work?
2: Yeah, he's an he's an Italian filmmaker. He's I think he's in his mid forties now. But he did you, you probably to the extent that American audiences know him, they know him from his last two films, uh, The Great Beauty, which won the Oscar for best foreign language film, and uh, Youth, starring Michael Caine as a um, retired orchestra conductor. And he's a he's a really interesting director. He's kind of the perfect person to helm a show like this because he's. He's very interested in history and the way that history intersects with individual lives, and he's also interested to what happens to uh, the masculine image uh, when change comes. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I I almost feel like all roads were leading to the Pope eventually. With and this just guy.
0: and this is not based on an actual Pope. Uh, no. this is a this is a made up Pope, which is why it's so fun because they. Can just do whatever the fuck they want. Right, he's the Jed and, Bartlett of popes. Yeah. <laughs> my my colleague Alex Jung called it high trash, which I thought yeah. was a good description. But I I think it also engages with a lot of theological questions in an interesting way. Yeah. So it's kind of campy. It's funny, but it's also a little bit scary. I'm a hundred percent behind the young pope, and I hope everyone is too. Mm.
3: I think I think high high trash is. is... One of the best genres of television going right now. Like uh, that's how I would describe *People vs. O.J. Simpson*. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Was high trash, and that that way you can have a conversation on a number of different levels, and and that's my favorite thing to do. So like you know, a show that everyone wants to watch, but then we can still pick dig into bigger, meatier themes. Uh, I'm so excited for *Hot Pope*. Let's just
0: call it. <laughs> okay, let's make <laughs> *Hot Pope* happen.
2: By, yeah. we, the papal decree of what it shall be called. <laughs>
0: I also like that the show, one of the things I like about it is the conversations, which I think are fascinating to watch because you don't know, you don't know what this Pope's ideology is to begin with. And you're finding out little things as you go and you have no idea what he's going to say in any conversation.
2: No, no, no. He's like borderline, like the character in being there almost (laughs) like, like everybody wants him to reflect whatever their worldview is, but, uh. Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting show. Interesting show. I'll tell you, you know, the show, uh, the the two shows that I am sort of most anticipating, but also most dreading uh, of the newer shows are Twenty Four Legacy,
0: Mm. which is not Kiefer Sutherland is not. No, it's Corey, it's Corey
2: Hawkins. Although I I have read, I don't know if this is confirmed or not, that Kiefer Sutherland pops up at some Mm -hmm. point. But, yeah, Corey Hawkins, and the thing that's fascinating about the show is Corey Hawkins is an African-American actor, and Jack Bauer is such a you know, growly old post-9-11 white dude kind of part. And uh, I'm wondering, like, how is this going to play out, and how much are they going to take into account the different contexts? Like, when you, have, when you have a black man fighting Muslim terrorists, it's an entirely different vibe, and are they even going to deal with it, you know? Are, I doubt it. I can't imagine that they are. And and, and <laughs> yeah. that's why you know that's why I'm so interested, but also like, oh God, here we go. Um and the other one I'm I'm of course obsessed with is Twin Peaks. Of course. And I've had so Yay. many I've had yes. so many conversations with people recently saying, Do you think it's gonna be good? Do you think it's gonna be good? And it's like, look, I think it's gonna be amazing, but I've liked everything pretty much that David Lynch has ever done except maybe parts of Wild at Heart. What was the, like the when
0: was the last thing
2: the last theatrical was, film that he did was Inland Empire. Right. Which and that was a which while yeah. which was uh uh in, I would argue one of his most one of his most abstract works. I mean it was like it's a movie that just purposefully falls apart as it goes along to the point where it feels like you're having a nightmare. And it's it's a very long film too, and, and I thought it was great. It was not what I expected, and but then Maholland Drive and Lost Highway were not what I expected. Mm-hmm. And you know, I just think he's not the, he's not the film, same filmmaker he was in 1990, and I think a lot of people have no contact at all with David Lynch after Twin Peaks, and they think they're going to be getting, you know, the same thing they saw in 1990. He's a different filmmaker.
3: The most recent thing I watched by David Lynch was a YouTube video on how to make quinoa, I believe it was. Yeah. <laughs> he just made a YouTube video about that. But my, outside your, your Lynch love, which I think is well-deserved, what was the last TV reunion or TV reboot that you feel like worked really well? Because I'm not sure that I've seen one that I think has really nailed it, like made me feel like it was worth it, you know?
2: Only in fits and and starts, I've seen some things that I thought were pretty good. I thought about two of the six X-Files episodes were really good. And and I thought uh, there were... The 24 uh, uh, kind of resuscitation with Kiefer Sutherland, I liked pretty well. Matt, mm-hmm. um, your, uh,
0: your favorite one, you're forgetting.
2: Which one? Oh, Arrested Development, <laughs> yes, season uh, four. <laughs> I wasn't going to bring that up because, you know, when I bring it up, I like every time I bring it up, I feel more like uh, I imagined it. I imagined it. It's like, you <laughs> like that? <laughs> I liked it. I told you my tombstone. My tombstone is going to say he was right about Arrested Development Season 4. <laughs> Here lies Matt Zeller birth, death date, right about Arrested Development Season 4. And they're going to play it. They're going to play it like that's going to be my memorial, memorial service. They're just going to have Season 4 on a continuous loop. And no oh one, no one will show up. No one. Not even my family. My kids are going to be like, oh, God, Season 4 of Arrested Development. Oh, God.
1: The will be in the front row. (laughs) (laughs) Mm,
2: But yeah, but no, point taken. I mean, it's. Yeah,
4: it's
3: better in theory.
2: Better in theory than practice, a lot of times.
3: I agree with you so much about the two, or I would say 1.5 episodes of of the X File reboot, but. But then seeing those other four episodes really depressed
4: me. Yeah.
3: And, um, you know, just seeing seeing these things happen or, or, you know, even Gilmore Girls, which I only enjoyed about 20% of, you know, it's, it's always, I think it's always a mixed bag. And, and then sometimes you think, well, maybe this is better left to my memory, all of these things I loved about Twin Peaks. But as you, as you say, like Lynch has earned our trust. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see. Um, if it's anything like that quinoa video,
1: it's going to be amazing. I will
0: say this is very different, but, and I never saw the original, but the Netflix reboot of Norman Lear's One Day at a Time. Yeah. I've I've watched all of it and I really, really like it. This is a Latino version of the classic show. It's a Cuban family. And... I don't think, I think what works here is probably that they weren't trying to recreate some magic. Most people who are going to come to this show will have not seen the original. Right. Yeah. So it just feels like a new show Yeah. that is great, that yeah. is kind of inspired by the original.
1: Um, but it is very much, I, I haven't watched all of it yet, I've watched a little bit, but it is very much like a traditional <laughs> sitcom kind of format with yes. a laugh track. And, it's you know, when Rita Moreno camera. walks in the room, everybody's like, woo, Rita Moreno! Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, she's awesome. All that kind of stuff, but um, and even <laughs> has the same theme song, except it's been given, you know, this Cuban Latino it's kind Gloria of Gloria Estefan,
0: actually.
4: Right, right. Yeah.
1: yeah. So it's so they've done it in a way that if you do remember, if you're old like me and you remember that uh, original show, uh, it's it's just familiar enough, but also doing something a little bit different that it 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 works on kind of both levels, um, which is unusual.
2: Norman Lear is now in his early 90s, and, and uh, yeah, and and this is an example. I got to stop and give this guy credit. He's been doing this since the 70s, where he has, you know, he started out with All in the Family, which was about a white work, you know, white ethnic family. And then he decided, then he said, like, let's do basically this show, but with a woman at the center. And that was Maud. And then it's like, well, let's do it again. But with the Jeffersons and there were complaints like the Black Panthers came and visited him and said, hey, uh, we appreciate you're doing this. But when are you going to show some working class or poor black people on TV? And he said, fine. And then he, he he created Good Times and he's been doing this for decades now. And in fact, there was I think it was like 20 years ago or something. He uh, did a version of uh, All in the Family called Seven Hundred Four House, and the premise of it was a black family had moved into Archie Bunker's house, and they, had, oh, wow. know, they showed the exterior of the same house that Archie grew up in. Oh, so wow. this is all like, like this is very much par for the course.
1: Mm-hmm. And he had Archie Bunker's place. Let's not forget.
2: That's right. Yeah, <laughs> he did have Archie Bunker's place, and Archie Bunker's place, uh, ironically, Archie Bunker's actual place was a bar. Boy, what right. a this is like part of the Norman Lear expanded universe.
3: Yeah. <laughs> we should
2: have a chart. Like, Vulture should have a chart of the Norman Lear. Expand. And then we can decide what is or is not canon, you know?
1: The NL, The NLU. The NLU. Right. Right. Okay. <laughs> the NLU. Is this
2: part of the NLU?
0: <laughs> and this one couldn't be coming at a better time, really. There's an entire episode about illegal Im- immigration. Yeah. And, you know, I, they obviously... It was made before Fidel Castro um, died, but it feel they they definitely touch on a lot of issues that are specific to uh, being a Cuban family in America, living you know in exile from from their home country. That I think will resonate in a lot of ways because of what's been going on.
3: Mm-hmm. Another show that I think has a chance of resonating is um, The Good Fight. Which oh, is yes. the Good Wife spinoff? I'm I'm also skeptical. We have already talked about our skepticism of spinoffs, but you know this this one centers on Christine Baranski's character. I loved The Good Wife. Um, I think it's harder now, much harder now, for an adult <laughs> drama to launch. So I think a lot of people are, are worried about this. This is also, I believe, airing on CBSL Access mm-hmm. as an attempt to, you know, give a boost to that streaming service before Star Trek comes along. But what fascinates like me about the the good fight and I could be wrong, but I think right now it's an all-female cast. I believe that's right. And Christine Branson's character, of course, uh, on The Good Wife is very staunchly feminist. So I'm very curious to see sort of what themes they try to tackle in this Trumpy in 2017. Uh, I saw her. Uh, I, have to
2: tell, I have to tell you, I ran into her in a coffee shop. I ran into her oh, in a yeah. coffee shop on the Upper East Side of like a few days before the election. And I, it was one of those situations where it's like, do I, maybe I shouldn't say anything at all. She's probably tired of people talking to her. I didn't ask for an autograph. I didn't say, I love your work or anything like that. I just, as she was leaving, I said, uh, glad you got your own show. It must be great. And, and she, she said, oh, my God, it's awful. And I said, but you get to be on screen all the time. She's like, I know. <laughs>
4: That's
0: amazing.
2: Because, <laughs> you know, there's like 14 times more dialogue right. to memorize. So. Yeah. Wow.
0: <laughs> and I did, uh, I did read that the show was specifically going to be addressing a tr- the Trump presidency on the show. I'm not sure in what way, but the writers have said they, after he won, they just went back to the writer's room and started, you know, rewriting in that
1: in that That's capacity. It's going to be fascinating. Yeah.
2: Interesting. Interesting.
1: We haven't talked about Big Little Lies yet, mm. which is the HBO show that, you know, I haven't read the novel that it's based on, but it was created by David E. Kelly and Jean-Marc Vallée, who directed Wilds and Dallas Buyers Club, is directing all the episodes. And what I find most interesting about it is just the the firepower of the actresses involved, which is, you know, Nicole Kidman, Reese Witherspoon and Laura Dern making Making a return to HBO after they canceled Enlightened, yeah. I watch Laura Dern do pretty much anything. But all three of them together to me is just a really fascinating combination. And the trailers that I've seen for it, they just look really intriguing.
0: And this is a miniseries, correct?
1: So it's seven episodes, I think. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I think this has a potential for that
3: high trash drama genre yeah. that we talked about. Yeah, I'm exactly. Really excited for it. Um, who's, the, who's the younger actress on that? Sh- Shailene Woodley. Uh, yeah, Shailene
0: Woodley. Yeah, right. and Adam Sandler. Mom. Yeah. Yeah. Alexander Sarsgaard. It's just it's a good a real, cast. Yeah, it's a really good yeah, cast. Yeah, it's a really good cast. Yeah, I think that'll be a big one for HBO as well. They also have Crashing, the Judd Apatow comedy co-created with comedian Pete Holmes. And it's about a young comedian whose wife leaves him for an Italian boxer named Rocco. Which is, I'm not sure how I how much how, I, how much I care about that, but it is <laughs> it fits into this latest trend of comedians creating creating their own you know auteur comedies in the vein of Louis and
2: right Master everybody and wants to do a like Louis
0: everyone wants one yeah. yeah well
1: I thought the premise of that and I could be wrong but I thought it was that he crashes on a different sofa in each episode like with a different comedian that he knows or something like that yeah I don't yeah. know. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So Was that a shudder of
2: revulsion yeah. I just heard, or <laughs>
1: <laughs> no? I, I I
3: like Pete Holmes. He's a, he's a, he's a weird character, and like I believe he had a talk show on T B S that didn't go. And his podcast, "You Made It Weird," uh, is a very interesting, uh, you know, way in which his. Very, very warm but kind of off putting sometimes personality. Um I just feel like he really needs the right platform. This could be it, but I think it's gonna be a challenge to find the right way to communicate what about Pete Holmes works so well. You
0: know? Yeah.
2: Do you have any expectations of any kind, any of you for Emerald City? No.
1: <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs>
0: it's NBC, right? I think. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Yeah. I mean It's gritty. It's, it's gritty, gritty. It's yeah. That is gritty. not
1: for me.
2: How do you want those we eggs? Tried dark so and gritty. so many times to
1: reimagine the Wizard of Oz. Stop already. <laughs> Wicked was fine, and you know what? Just forget it. Uh, the rest of it, like I, I
3: also I want NBC to stop trying. I think with so much CG, like it's just what timeless doesn't work. Like I just think they're they're trying to be bigger than they need to be, and they don't quite. Have the look down,
2: and it all looks odd to me. Am I alone mm, in that? That's no. You're you're right. I've noticed that. I've noticed that it's not just NBC either, although they're probably the primary offender. Mm-hmm. But but they there's this phenomenon I call "big for TV." Like a lot of times, the productions, it's like this is a big production. It's like it's big for TV. You know, very rarely do I see special effects on a TV show or or any kind of like. Uh, computer-generated landscapes or anything where it looks as good as it would in a feature film. Like Game of Thrones, Westworld. HBO is one of the few networks that's able to pull it off, Mm -hmm. but a lot of times when the networks do it, it's like they'll do a thing like a pilot, like was it Quantico? They had that shot where you see her in the rubble of the of the bombed out, what was it? Grand Central Station. What did they blow up? Yeah. I can't remember. And and it zooms out and out and out until you're looking at like looking down on the city, and it's like it looked like something out of a video game from 1996, <laughs> and that's yeah. what CGI usually looks like on TV. I do. I, I I agree. I agree. I wish they would just scale it down. It's okay. You can scale it down or imply or imply it. Imply. Find a way right. to imply it or show part of it or something like.
3: That's why, I, I mean, even, even Good Place, which is a show I quite like, like any time that they try to put in this CG to try to make the universe look bigger than, than I need it to be, I'm like, why? You've got such a sweet mm-hmm. little show here. You don't need that. So. Mm-hmm.
2: Mad Men right. was pretty good about not, not, not feeling compelled to do that. Like, it's like they conveyed an entire decade and it was just mainly with clothes and interiors. Yeah. You know, like once in a while they'd go outside, but they didn't do it very often. And it was fine.
0: That's probably what prevented it from feeling just too cliche in a period way.
2: Right. Yeah. And they weren't cutting to stock footage mm-hmm. of stuff all the time. You know. Yeah. Like, they, and if they did, it would be it would be on a television.
0: Right. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So it's a good lesson to learn, I guess. I don't know. I I, I would be surprised if they weren't grappling with this on Feud, mm. the Ryan Murphy show.
0: Yes, this is the one. Uh, yeah. About um. Betty Davis and Joan Crawford played by Susan Sarandon and Jessica Lange. Really great S- casting. Ryan Murphy show. Yeah, mm-hmm. perfect casting.
2: Susan Sarandon, they used to tell her when she all through her life, it's like you you have Betty Davis eyes. Yeah. They would say that. So, here she is.
0: It, it'll be worth it just to see her play
2: her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah completely.
0: I know that they built like an exact
3: replica of, I believe, it's Joan Crawford's mansion. Oh, wow. uh, well, not exact replica, but the interiors are are just matching. And I also know. I know that Ryan Murphy has this crazy backstory with Betty Davis where he like wrote a letter to her when he was a kid and she wrote back to him uh-huh. and he met her. Wow. So he's got, this is like a deeply personal, despite it seeming like a, you know, big grand soapy historical Hollywood drama, it's like very personal for Ryan Murphy to do this Betty That's Davis story. So, uh, And of course, he has good luck to her and Sarah Paul has been along as well. So mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I'm excited. But yeah, you're right. Uh, Matt, if they don't go outside, I think it'll all be <laughs>
2: Actually, you know, now that you've told me that story, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of sad that it's not just a movie about little Ryan Murphy hanging out with Betty Davis (laughs) in the 70s. (laughs) Ryan, bring me my cigarettes.
0: There's also, um, speaking of period dramas, there's uh, Amazon is doing a show called Z, the Beginning of Everything, which is about Zelda Fitzgerald, and it stars Christina Ricci. Well, well. Yes. And it looks like it could potentially fall into the trap you were speaking of, Matt, mm. but I don't know. It seems like there have been a lot of attempts to, to do films and TV shows about Zelda Fitzgerald over the years.
2: Yeah. Well, she showed up, certainly she showed up as care uh, as a character in mm-hmm. a lot of stories, not just of F-, F Scott Fitzgerald, but you know, just Paris in the twenties, the Algonquin round table, like eventually the Fitzgeralds are going to show up. You can right. count on that.
3: And I think Jennifer Lawrence and Scarlett Johansson are doing like dueling Zelda Fitzgerald films
2: next year. Or near, or near, 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 near. So, how
3: does yeah. this
0: happen? <laughs> we see a lot yeah. of Zelda, so much Zelda. It's too much All Zelda the. <laughs> by the end of the year.
2: The year of Zelda. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's weird how that happens yeah
0: it yeah. does happen
2: yeah it does happen was OJ like, this year There was OJ yeah. this year and then there was that year when we had like uh, uh snow- two, two Truman Capote movies like a year apart
0: and then we had all oh, the snow right. Whites one year yeah
2: but this and it, it happens even in genre stuff like yeah. there was you remember there was like Dante's Peak and Volcano like six months yeah. apart
3: oh the the you Ants bug li- a Bug's Life
2: uh scenario Ants a Bug's Life yeah and then uh-huh. there was a uh, Deep Impact and Armageddon were the same right. I think the same summer it's like, do yeah. you like, what's she like better, the asteroid hitting the Earth or the comet?
3: Right, and then <laughs> history will remember, history will let us know which one was yes. the most important, right? <laughs> Armageddon has endured and Deep Impact has sort of faded.
2: Um, which is sad, because so. I like I Deep liked Impact better, which is maybe the subject of a future series of podcasts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, the Deep Impact podcast, yes.
4: <laughs> Maybe
3: whichever Zelda Fitzgerald biopic can have an Aerosmith ballad will be the
1: one that we
2: will remember. Yes, there should be a soundtrack by Aerosmith to this Ryan Michael show. (laughs) Yes.
1: One thing I'm wondering about Uh, is the extent to which there are things that we can't even anticipate right now that are going to be big in 2017. And I say that because I've been watching The OA uh, Mm. on Netflix, which is a show that they did nothing to promote. By the time this is... is, uh, this podcast is being distributed to people. It will be out there, but at this moment it's not yet. And it's an extraordinary show. Like if it had been out before we made our best of list, it would have been on my best of list.
0: Wow. Um.
1: So can you and, tell us a
0: little bit about this show,
1: Jen? Yeah, Um. it's it's a, a show. Uh, Britt Marling plays uh, uh, basically a woman who... She had disappeared for several years and she was blind, but now she's not. Uh, And there's much, much, much more to it than that. But you're just given dribs and drabs of of information and it just really pulls you in. The episode that I was watching most recently was as intense as anything I ever saw on Breaking Bad, just in terms of my adrenaline level watching it. It's incredibly, incredibly well done. And they didn't promote it at all. It didn't even announce it until... A few days before it was actually going to drop, and I'm right. just wondering to what extent that's going to become more of a thing. I mean, Stranger Things was not a secret, but it certainly was not being hyped and talked about to the extent that it was being talked about after it well, came out, and it no. felt like a surprise. Well, I think uh, in a way, and I, I think that um, it was a
2: discovery. It was a discovery for everyone. I think
1: that's what pe- people are looking for. That I found this thing, even if they really didn't. And I'm wondering to what extent you know, if Netflix is leading on this kind of thing if other mm. streaming platforms and even networks are going to try to in some way replicate that sense of surprise.
0: I, I mean, I'm I'm not sure about other networks, but I, I think Netflix, I already noticed something on the schedule for next year that I was like, what is that show? It's called Santa Clarita Diet. And it's starring right. Drew, Drew Barrymore and Timothy yeah. Oliphant. And the description of the show is very vague. And, you know, I just... They're not doing anything to promote this show, but huh. Le- *Lemony Snicket*, on the other hand, yeah, are seeing everywhere because that's
1: an established yeah. thing. Established, it it yeah. benefits them to get that out there, yeah, right. So yeah, and *Gilmore uh, Girls*
3: the same thing, right? right? So yeah, maybe maybe they're just soft launching these things and sort of not not ramping your expectations up and just sort of seeing where they go. My sense with uh, with *OA*, even though it's a very different show, is that they were hoping it would be their making a murderer of of this mm-hmm. season, you know, like. The surprise show that everyone watches over the holidays. Um, Yeah. And and we'll see if it has that same potential.
0: I am surprised they didn't release Lemony Snicket for the holidays because I watched the first episode and I don't know anything about the book series. I really like it. And it seems like the perfect family Mm -hmm. watch with your family over the holidays type of show. But seems like a missed Mm. opportunity.
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Uh, but I guess we'll all have watched the OA by the time this airs.
2: I like stumbling upon things. It's fun, you know. Yeah. Like when when a show kind of sneaks up on you.
0: Yeah. Well, especially I mean, all of us have to pay
3: attention to what the shows are that are coming, and so when Netflix can surprise even us, which happens to me sometimes, I'll open the account and I'll be like, what's this show that they just <laughs> launched and didn't tell anyone about? It. It's just here. You know, whether or not it's one of their British imports or what have you, sometimes they just sneak it in there and, and that's their model, right? They want something new every single time you open up the application. So mm-hmm. uh, it, it'll be the death of us, but we'll, it's, you know, we'll, we'll enjoy it as we go.
1: Right. I'm dead already. I'm actually speaking to you from the application.
2: <laughs> <laughs> You're CGI. <laughs> yes. The CGI gen. <laughs>
1: Well,
0: thanks so much for joining us, Joanna. This is great. Oh, thank you for having
5: me. All's my life I has to fight, nigga. All's my life I. Hard times like, yeah. Bad trips like, yeah. Nazareth, I'm fucked up, homie, you fucked up. But if God got
0: us, then we go be alright. And We Got Y'all offers after school
5: tutoring, mentoring programs, community service, standardized test coaching, big brother, big sister, and and just general filling in the cracks. As youth liaison, I can assure you that whatever it is you need to succeed, we got y'all. So do y'all have any questions?
0: Don't be shy, guys. Fire away. Why you talk like a white girl? (laughs) Uh, You caught me. I'm rocking blackface.
5: Any other
0: Ahead of the Golden Globe Awards next Sunday night, we caught up with nominee Issa Ray, who was nominated for Best Actress in a Comedy or Musical for her role on HBO's Insecure, which she also co-created with Larry Wilmore. Here, Vulture's Alex Jung talks to Issa about how it felt to be nominated, the show's controversial season one finale, and what happened when she tweeted drunk.
6: Hello. Issa. Alex. Yes, this is Alex Jung from Vulture
5: great to talk to you
6: it's great to talk to you too i was the the really creepy asian guy who randomly accosted you at at the (laughs) nag offices (laughs) it's
5: it's great to talk to you professionally
6: (laughs) you know just so you have a face on this voice
5: (laughs) Uh, that's amazing
6: well first off i just want to say congratulations this is huge
5: oh man thank you it is kind of ridiculous
6: uh, what was your reaction to the news? Um, just
5: done like it was it was very sweet if I'm being hundred percent honest. I was like, this is dope as hell, but i it's it such that my name is the only one associated with like all the hard work that everybody's put in
4: 'cause mm. it's just
5: you know i, I want it, I want everybody to know like that you know there our showrunners but dope our directors dope our writers are so dope our cast is amazing, so it's like um totally. That that and on the other end, I'm like, motherfucker, I got a Golden Globe nomination. <laughs> so it's like, it's both. It's both.
6: I saw that uh, Yvonne Orji FaceTimed you in the morning.
5: <laughs> she did. She definitely did. She was one of the first texts I got. Um, and then she was like, let me FaceTime. I just got an iPhone, and so that's always been like a running joke. She uh-huh. always clowns me for having an Android. So she was like, oh, we FaceTiming. And she was just she just had me dying laughing early in the morning. And it was just always so sweet and supportive. And um, that was that was definitely a highlight. That's when it sunk in.
6: Did you talk to your mom?
5: You know what's funny? I didn't get to talk to anybody. I haven't, like, called anybody. We have a family group text. And <laughs> I saw my, my older brother is there on the East Coast, and my mom's on the West Coast with me. And they were like, oh, congrats, congrats. Everybody's excited and literally I saw a text from her before I got like on these calls, um, that said, You guys fill me in, what is this? I don't know what this is, but somebody tell me what the golden globes are basically. <laughs> so even if I got the chance to tell her, she would not
6: know. But she'd be proud. I I'm sure she would be. Or she is. Um Yeah. The show has, you know, has had a long, well-documented development period. And I wonder if you've gotten a chance to sort of step back and take a moment to reflect on all the success of the show so far and what it means to you.
5: You know, every week that the episode would air, we gather at like a writer's house and watch and then, you know, live tweet and just talk about it. And that's when it became kind of real to me that it was out there. And then, of course, after the finale, when people were talking about it. And, like, I logged in. I remember just logging into Twitter like I normally do to, like, look for news and look at, to see what people were talking about. Mm-hmm. And my entire feed was just about the show unprompted. And, like, long after it had aired. And I was like, this is, you know, you kind of hope for stuff like this. But the fact that there's discussions. Cause even in my own friend's group, I had friends in relationships fighting. And I was like, but y'all know me. Why is this a... Why are you taking these characters so seriously? And so that's been... It's super rewarding and a, and a, I guess a testament to the the true stories that we're trying to tell.
6: Yeah, I mean they're fighting because they're real to us, Issa. <laughs>
5: <laughs> which which I love. It still just trips me out.
6: I want to talk about the ending um, because it was in some way it was pretty divisive and kind of controversial. And I was wondering if that's what you were hoping for, if that was the reaction you were hoping for.
5: We were hoping for like a real life scenario. Like the life isn't, you know, you can't tell someone or someone doesn't find out you cheated on him. And especially a man and a woman dynamic, a man doesn't find out a woman is cheap on him, has cheated on him and forgives her readily. I think
4: mm. that
5: was something that that was, we just wanted to show a, a real life scenario. And so um Issa's learning on this journey, it's definitely been um, a season of like, declaration for, I'm going to be this person. I'm going to be this person without thinking about the consequences. And we wanted to show that sometimes, you know, there are, and you have to kind of be ready when you make a decision to accept what that decision means for your life moving forward. And then the Tasha part, like we never really Mm. got in an eye where we were like, oh, Lawrence is definitely going to go fuck Tasha. Like that's just, that's just what a bruised ego does. And she was ready and willing. And we didn't expect that to be such a huge like
6: right um
5: divide divisive um part of the story
6: right um that because i saw on twitter uh you know i like to say that the internet is a very long dwayne reed receipt um (laughs) you you have a you have a tweet about lawrence uh uh, that you deleted that saying that he wasn't such a nice guy uh in the finale
5: I wrote it wrong so I was drunk I meant to say <laughs> I meant to say it makes me so sad to see Lawrence trying to prove trying to prove he's not a nice guy and I think I wrote proving he's not a nice guy oh. so I was like oh this is not obviously I know the way the story goes so people were like well bitch fuck you because you made him not a nice guy and I was like whoa that's not but um but I only deleted it because I usually delete like all my show tweets after
2: because we just
6: just, uh-huh. just like
5: uh, overflowing, but yeah, I said it wrong.
6: Okay, okay, so nothing controversial there, just a drunk tweet,
5: just a drunk tweet, a poorly worded tweet.
6: <laughs> Twitter, you know, Twitter is a dangerous place,
5: it is. That's just that's also why I'm like, I treat my Twitter like Snapchat, where I'll like post thoughts and then i will go away. <laughs> <laughs>
6: um, you know, uh, because the Lawrence thing is interesting, Lawrence fucking Tasha at the end. Well, my colleague D. Lockett sort of. Uh, wondered if the scene didn't uh, pander to the male gaze at all. And I was wondering if you felt that way or how you would respond to that idea.
5: No, I don't think it pandered to the male gaze. I think it pandered to, like, reality. Just Mm -hmm. even from the beginning, like, so many men watching the show when they saw Tasha they were like, oh, Lawrence got to holler. And then once Issa cheated, like, I saw so many men like, oh, well, Lawrence, like, now he immediately has to smash that. Like, that's how men, a lot of men think. And so we're, we're basically, like, just a reflection of, like, I, I like to say that this show is kind of a mirror just through my lens, obviously. Mm-hmm. And we try to show real-life choices, and it, it's just about, like, playing those actions out on screen and seeing and, and making dimensional characters. But we weren't thinking like, Oh, this the male audience is going to be like n- n- just hot and happy for this. My most disappointing moment was like when a hotel I was conversing with on Twitter, mm-hmm. he like was like, Oh, this, you created this show and you're destroying the black man. Sis. I'm so mad at you. And I was like, bro, you don't, you don't watch the show because we don't like, we're just, we don't attack black men on the show. If anything, we dimensionalize, like, everybody. And he was like, I don't see that. I've only watched two episodes but still." And so I was like, okay, well, I mean, keep watching and then let me know. And so then he hit me back towards the end. Well, he hit me back around episode six, and he was like, well, now you're making black men gay and saying that gayness is okay. And I was like, look, <laughs> you know what? We're never, we're never going to agree on this, uh-huh. so, uh-huh. like, go ahead and... It's fine, but thanks for watching the show still. Right. And then the last episode he came back and he was like, I just want to thank you for treating the black man like the king that he is. And I was like, Oh no, I failed. Oh no. Oh no. This is not the intention at all. Now that I pleased you, I'm so mad at myself.
6: It's interesting because I think watching the show, the men come off as uh compassionate and patient and it's generally the women who you know are are more in the process of figuring their shit out with their relationships i feel like
5: um that's interesting i, mean, I think
4: uh,
5: uh, for for us it was just about showing and for me it was just about like just showing flawed people i think
4: hmm.
5: for for lawrence he kind of started him in a in a shitty place and he built to to try for Issa, as he put it. Mm-hmm. And I think even that is kind of a po- problematic statement where he got shit together for her. Mm. And even when he like got this job, he was still considering putting this new job on hold to pursue his, his dream, which is like a very realistic sentiment. But I mean, it was just about like painting whole people and you're, you're so, you're in the lens of Issa and Molly and you get to see the grit. And I, I, I ask like in your own life story, in anybody's life story, if everybody's watching your decisions, the decisions that you made on screen, would they be like, oh yeah, you're the hero? Ooh, I'm rooting, or would they be like, oh, what are you doing? What the fuck is wrong mm-hmm. with you? Why are you making that decision? And that's mm-hmm. kind of what we want to show with the show. I, I dare to say that no one is the hero in their own
6: story. So I know we don't have you for very long. So I just wanted to ask you where you were at with season two. And what uh, themes or spaces you were hoping to explore?
5: Um, season two will be a continuation of the story, obviously. We're in the writer's room now, and we just want to continue to explore Ethan is- and Molly's friendship dynamic. Like, that is the, the core of the show. And mm. um, just to, to see them grow and evolve with each other and to continue to, to keep each other on track. Uh,
6: are you writing it right now?
5: Yeah, we are writing it right now in the uh, starting a writer's room in an hour.
6: Cool. I think that's all the time we have. But uh, thank you so much for coming on to chat about this. And congratulations on your nomination.
5: Thank you very much. And thank you for um, following the show. I appreciate it.
6: Yeah, no, we we love it. So uh, we can't wait for season two.
5: Thanks a lot. Have a great rest of the day.
6: Bye.
0: That's just about it for this week's show, but before we go, it's time for this week's Aria. This week, it's Matt's turn.
2: I'm just going to say it. 2016 was the greatest year for scripted TV in my lifetime. It also happens to be the year when TV eclipsed movies as the undisputed, preeminent, popular art form. Yeah, I know, that's a bold statement, but bear with me. I turned 48 a couple of weeks ago. Just think about how many hours I've spent watching television. A lot. And I know that if you're listening to something called the Vulture TV podcast, you're not going to think those hours were wasted. Thank goodness. Well, some of them were. I probably didn't need to see particular episodes of Gilligan's Island ten times. Except maybe the one where they put on a production of Hamlet with original songs, scored to selections from Bizet's Carmen. That was great. But I digress. When people say TV is better than the movies right now, they mean two things. One is that for a variety of reasons, it's just a better fit for our modern lives, which are increasingly house or apartment defined and increasingly tailored toward consumer choice and time management and cost savings. The other thing people mean when they say television is better than movies right now is that they are more likely to see their lives reflected in television than in movies. Specifically, they're more likely to see their lives reflected in scripted television than they are in mainstream movies, because that's the kind of TV and the kind of movies that most people watch. What we're talking about here is life. That's the key word, life. They're looking for their lives in television. They're looking for their lives in movies. Life in general, the life of people who live in this world, or larger-than-life people, people in extreme situations. Character whose struggles and journeys help us work through and understand our own lives by way of metaphor or some other kind of sidelong storytelling method. This is a far cry from the nearest semi-exact counterpart to scripted television, mainstream commercial cinema of the sort that plays in multiplexes. Unless you live in one of a handful of U.S. cities with a flourishing art house scene, the pickings are pretty dire when you're trying to choose a movie. And those hardy cinephiles who have greatly expanded their options have tended to accomplish this through cable, or Amazon, or Netflix, or illegal downloading, let's be honest. All of these are essentially forms of television. The only reason we even hesitate to call them TV is because, aside from cable, which you can also watch on your phone, we watch it on small computer screens. Not on a box on a nightstand or on a big rectangle that hangs on our living room wall. And so, movies, good movies, movies worth thinking about and talking about, movies that either reenact life faithfully or reinterpret them in terms of poetry or metaphor or fable, these kinds of movies only exist now because of television. Television which killed the movies and arguably saved them, or that is at the very least keeping cinema alive. Like a team of doctors and nurses valiantly refusing to pull the plug on a patient that they all fear is probably too far gone to save or that can continue on only in a persistent vegetative state. And that's what mainstream American cinema is in right now, a persistent vegetative state. Except for the occasional crossover art house breakout like Moonlight or Manchester by the Sea or Hell in High Water, the vital signs are not heartening unless you live in New York or L.A. or San Francisco, maybe Chicago, or are very aggressive in searching out work that is, as they say, outside the box. Movies with superheroes, robots, dinosaurs, and other monsters, and pumped-up dudes and ladies flying through the air and unloading two handguns at once are collectively sucking up most of the cultural oxygen right now. When a small, brilliant personal film like Don't Breathe, a horror film, maybe the only uncompromised popular genre left in theaters, breaks out and becomes a hit, we are collectively stunned. This kind of thing rarely happens anymore. Theaters are for CGI, and occasionally odd, personal, weird comedies like a sausage party or office Christmas party or some other party film. Theaters are where people increasingly go to escape life. But at home, and on their laptop or iPad or phone, They embrace it in the form of television. When I sat down to make out my best shows of the year list, I filled up the paper pretty quickly. Here's the top ten that I published on Vulture. Atlanta, The Girlfriend Experience, American Crime Story, The People vs. O.J. Simpson, and O.J. Simpson Made in America, which I kind of cheated and turned into a tie. Bojack Horseman, The Americans, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Stranger Things, Rectify, Horace and Pete and the new TBS show Search Party, which you may not have heard of, but you should be watching. That's the top 10. But if you ask me again, I might have listed You're the Worst, Insecure, Master of None, Queen Sugar, Sense8, Better Call Saul, Halt and Catch Fire, Veep, and Silicon Valley. Then if you asked me again a few days later, I might have said Black Mirror, Aftermath, The Affair, Blackish, The Goldbergs, Lady Dynamite, Outcast, Quarry, and Game of Thrones. Depending on my mood, I might have swapped one of those out for Westworld, Mr. Robot, Incorporated, Shameless, Billions, Ray Donovan, or The Strain. These are the shows that are intermittently great, often good, always watchable. The Get Down, Luke Cage. Every time I reconsider this list, I think of some other show I could have listed. That's how much great TV there was in 2016. Ten years ago, many of the shows that are on the third or fourth tier of possible consideration would have easily made it into my top ten because there wasn't as much to choose from, and because the medium had only begun to evolve and become more sophisticated and more adventurous, and because technology hadn't changed yet to allow that kind of evolution, because our lives hadn't changed yet. They hadn't changed as drastically as they have in the last 10 years, 15 years. It's unbelievable. We're through the looking glass now. The view is astounding. It is the best of times to be writing about television and watching television, and I'm grateful that I'm able to chronicle it.
0: That's it for this week's show. The Vulture TV podcast is produced by Sam Dingman and Jordan Bell. Laura Mayer is our director of production and Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. The Vulture TV podcast is part of the Panoply Network. I'm Gazella Amami and you can find me on Twitter at Gazellephant.
2: I'm Matt Zoller Seitz and you can find me shockingly at Matt Zoller Seitz.
1: And I'm Jen Chaney and you can find me on Twitter at ChaneyJ. Thanks for listening.